Attention all mortals, veterans and civilians alike. It's time to buckle up and get ready for a wild ride because you just tuned in to the Swandingo Files. Your host, Steven Swanson, is here to help you navigate the crazy world of transitioning from military life to civilian life. And let me tell you, it's a bumpy road, but with a little bit of humor and a lot of determination, we can make it through together. And welcome back to another episode of the Swan Dingo Files, where the Dingo H O baby. Today I have a special guest, Forrest Barkus, and he's a fellow veteran, and he was in the 101st Airborne around the same time I was. I guess I didn't even know that small world after all. How's it going today, uh, Forrest? It's going well. And uh, just to clarify, I was deployed under uh, 101st Field Artillery. Uh, I'm actually an MP, so uh, we were just attached to them. Yeah. Uh, so today we're going to discuss. Um, you know, why you join your uh, time in the military. I know you said you got some injuries, uh, your transition period out, and kind of how you're crushing it now and the world you live in. So if you want to begin, uh, why, did you, why did you join the military? So I'm from a very small town in Northern California. Um, I mean, our eighth grade graduating class literally had eight people. I ended up getting transferred at uh, the last minute to another school that was considered bigger. And I think we had 23 kids graduating that year. So um, after eighth grade, uh, we went to a large city, which is, you know, a spec compared to what an actual large city is. Um, I just needed to get away. Uh, the small town mountain, I mean, and once all the uh, logging industry kind of got regulated and shut down, um, it really ruined the economy of Northern California. I mean, whole towns of mountains, like mountain cities, just started dying because that was their life and livelihood, and it affected me. Um, my family became very, very poor at the time, and uh, yeah, that's for a different story. But anyways, um, so the reason I joined was to kind of get out and break away from all the drugs, all everything that comes with the small-town poverty. I mean, the first seven years of my life, I didn't have running water. I didn't have electricity, no flushing toilet. It's like we lived in a little cabin on the side of an Indian reservation, and that was life. I mean, I, I remember the first time I actually seen a light switch. I was probably about five years old and started playing with it because I was just so amazed that there was this instant power. Um, so I joined the military to get away from that, see the world. I mean, I love traveling. Um, yeah, it's, that was basically it, you know. And uh, it was after 9-11. I'm one of the post-9-11 uh, people that joined. And it, I, I wanted to do that whole hua, let's go to war. It was, it was the stuff that really excited me. And um, I got talked into the MP Corps because it was, oh, you'll you get one year doing garrison work, and the next year you'll deploy. And then one year garrison, and then you'll deploy again. So I thought it would be this awesome schedule of, Hey, five years, I might be able to get two or three deployments in. Now, of course, nothing works out in the Army. And uh, No, no, it doesn't. No. <laughs> so you joined the MPs, and uh, how many years did you do? Oh, I did a total of five and then one year of inactive reserve. Um, so I first started in uh, uh, yeah, Fort Leonardwood, Missouri. Uh, I got lucky enough to go out to Germany. Um, I ended up leaving by myself, so... Everyone from my basic training unit went to a different post. I was by myself. Uh, so 
I ended up getting attached to a rear D unit and, uh, yeah, just did my time in Germany there, did a little bit of work for, um, the 529th Honor Guard is where I ended up there and just doing little missions and Honor Guard, uh, salute batteries and stuff like that. Okay. Um, so I know you said you had gotten injured before. Uh, if you want to, can you talk about that a little bit and how it's affected you since? Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, it's something I can't actually currently dive into because even I've been out for, let's see, I got back in 2011. Within one month, I transitioned. So I went from Afghanistan to out on my butt as a civilian in less than one month. I had no transition time. Um, that's just how everything lined up. So, uh, I, I sorry, I do have to figure out where I was going with that. Um, once again, I, I have these little brain things. Oh, to, about the injuries. So, um, it's right now it's getting brought back up 11 years after the fact. Um, so I can't go into a lot of details, but basically what happened was, is, uh, October 31st, 2010, we were going on route California. Um, the first vehicle got hit by an IED. We were doing a counter IDF mission. Um, I instantly, what went through my mind when I seen vehicle one go up in flames is I knew, which was one of my good friends, Ems, Emery, um, Wells. I knew everybody that was in that vehicle, Sergeant Sutherland. I knew in my heart that they were dead. I mean, the explosion, the percussion, just everything about it. Um, we were, the I was in vehicle number four. There was a secondary device that was triggered. Um, we got sprayed with strap metal, but what really messed my vehicle up was the location of it and the way it was directed. It was, it wasn't that we physically got sprayed and our vehicle didn't, you know, get hit besides with just little scraps, but it was the percussion. Uh, I mean, my TC at the time, um, I'm not going to mention his name just because of everything that's going on right now. Uh, he completely blacked out. I mean, he lost full blown consciousness. My gunner in the turret, I mean, he was disoriented. It was all bad for our vehicle. Um, there was a lot of confusion because that was the first time in my, from what I was told in Afghanistan history that that actual daisy chain was used. So, um, I suffered the, you know, the unseen injury. Uh, luckily, um, vehicle number one was, uh, for the most part, besides the, head traumas and stuff like that. There wasn't a lot of physical damage that you could see, but it was a lot of the brain damage and from the percussion of these uh, IEDs that really did the damage to a lot of us. Uh, we went into uh, concussion protocol. Um, basically, I want to say six, six of us failed concussion protocol. Um, and then after that, it turned really political. So, um, for example, uh, I did mention him earlier, uh, well, he was the gunner, I believe he's in vehicle number one. Um, he never was sent for professional, I mean, we went to a field medic's office, they said, yes, we have concussions, and that was it. Like, our platoon sergeant was yelling at us, it was our fault that we were hurt, that we were failing uh, protocols, that we were just trying to go get out of missions, I mean, um, it became political fast. Um, 
they refused to file awards because they didn't like certain people. It became this huge mess. They tried transferring other soldiers out. Um, so that was a real mental bog down. Mm-hmm. Being in concussion protocol and being screamed at, being called a liar. Um, just a lot of stuff happened. And uh, it really wore on us mentally. Um, now I, I'll, I'll start talking. I have these huge gaps in my memory. I mean, I've always been known as a person that has that silver tongue. Oh, Marcus, he's a smooth talker. He can talk his way out of anything. You know, um, I was literally known for that, like being able to get into the worst possible trouble you can think of. And I'd be walking Scott free with me and my battle buddies. I mean, and now it, it's difficult to form sentences and it's just really hampered my life. And I mean, like I said, I had this severely quick transition. I didn't have the proper transition that I was promised and what I was told I was going to get when I got back to Fort Hood. And, um, it really took its toll in the early parts of my life of getting out of the military. Um, I did, I told you I did one year of inactive reserve. I went to do my uh, protocols. So when I went to uh, protocols to deploy, because they were the Oregon National Guard was literally right where I was just at a couple months ago. So I was excited. I was ready to go back. Um, they seen, I got seen by a doctor. They told me within a half hour they would never deploy me. They went in, gave me discharge papers, and I was homeless from Salem, Oregon. Holy crap. That's a, uh, that's a, uh, I mean, it kind of pissed me off a little bit as, you know, I was an E7 and my priority was always the soldiers, even when we got hit by IEDs, um, you know, gunfire. If you ever took a loss, my priority yeah. was to make sure that they were okay. I mean, that's part of the reason though, you know, I always made sure they were okay. I never mm-hmm. checked on myself though. And I mean, I mean, I'm dealing with my issues now and talking to you guys and seeing some crap you guys have been through and seeing um, how a lot of some of our stories align. It's just it's good therapy for me to talk to other uh, previous soldiers, veterans, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But how is the I mean, are you doing any therapy? Are you doing anything to improve your mental health? Uh, your oh, so I did trauma. Yeah, so I started in Oregon. I um, started going and seeing a doctor about, uh, I started having these sleep, literally from October 31st, the very first night that I went to sleep. Um, I started having these sleep paralysis. So anytime I go in and out of sleep, my body's not doing that transition. So mentally, I'm still awake, but my body shut down. And um, I'd wake up just hallucinating, vomiting. And that was what my effect, my primary effects off the beginning. So I had to start seeing a neurologist. Um, it started in Oregon. I was visiting some family in uh, Northern California, and I unfortunately forgot my medicine, and I had an episode. So I woke up, and I was vomiting, and I was just profusely not well. So my mom talks me into taking me to the ER. I go to the ER. Um, a nurse in California decided that uh, it's not a good idea that I, a person like me, should have a driver's license. I wasn't even a state resident. They had nothing to do with it. They went out of their way, filed paperwork against me, and I had my license taken away. So now I'm barely making it up in Oregon, have my license taken away. Um, you know, once again, I, I had that little thing where, you know, I kind of forget where I was going with the whole point of the story. Um 
Uh, I apologize. Can you start with the original question again? Sorry. You're good. You're good man. Let's go ahead and move on. Uh, it's all good. I get it. Um, I kind of have some of the same problems here and there where I forget where I'm trying to lead it. So I, so I know where you're coming from. Um, I'm glad people can actually see it and see that, you know, you're at least trying to get help on the outside and there is a lot of resources out there. Um, and I'm hoping you're taking advantage of some of the stuff. Uh, are you able to go to the VA or anything or, I, I mean, are they trying no, to help no. you? Correct. That's where I was going with that. Um, so, uh, the Portland VA system was completely in shambles. Um, I had a friend out of Washougal, Washington. He's like, man, I'm telling you, you have to come here. My doctor is amazing. So I finally broke down, went to his doctor and she was a lifesaver, literally. Um, she, she couldn't believe what happened to me in Northern California. Uh, so she ended up getting me proper brain scans through the state of Washington's VA system. And they got me everything done within two months. I was fighting the California VA system from Oregon for years. So this whole time, I am all they would offer me is, hey, here, take these pills. You're just depressed. Don't worry about what's going on with your brain. Is a, it, Yes, it could be possible TBI, but what it's most likely from is just stress. So they just kept giving me pills and pills. Well, I finally get up into Washington. I meet a real neurologist. They give me a brain scan, and um, they send me to some physical therapy to where I can learn. Um, I couldn't hold items very well. So I'd be writing with my pen in college, and the pen would fall out of my hand. Uh, I used to be a smoker. I'd be smoking a cigarette, and it falls right out of my hands. Um, the neurologist sent me to the right people to where I can actually learn how to use my grip again. So that was a big step for me, um, just knowing that I could actually work through it. Um, I did some counseling sessions. I've done them in Oregon. Uh, I did them here in Kentucky for a while. Um, the lady was very big about, you will believe my beliefs, and if you don't agree with them, we're not going to talk. So my counselor here in Kentucky hasn't been the best. So um, I, I stepped back from it. I've probably been off of counseling for about three months now. And uh, it's actually, I feel good. Um, That's good. Getting away from all the psych medicine, everything that they've told me to do. Um, I've built a better support system with my business partner. I mean, not that we're like this close buddy-buddy, friend-friend, but it's yeah, one thing. I know he's gone through what I've gone through. He's been through what I've been through. And I can just shoot him a message, and within a couple moments, like, I feel everything's clicking and falling to peace again. So that's the help that I've gotten, and the majority of it's come from my wife. I mean, she's been absolutely incredible. Um, and now I have yeah. a you know, daughter, and yeah. So. Well, I'll tell you this right now. My wife is the biggest part of my uh, success also. Um, have a strong woman behind you or a spouse behind you can completely change the world. And, you know, they see the struggles we go through, our spouses, and when they're there to pick up the pieces, you really got to appreciate them and kind of treat them uh, yeah. extra special. Um, I love my wife to death, and I'm glad she's seen me in the darkest hours, and she was right there with me, and she picked up my pieces, and she knew exactly how to help, and sometimes it was just not even saying anything. It was just be by my side. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad. With my Oh, okay. Yeah, with my wife's help, um, 
without medication, it's been six months since I've had a, a sleep paralysis episode. I still get them, but when we first met, I mean, she was going with it where I'd have three to four a week where I just wake up vomiting and, uh, it was horrible, but she went through everything with me and with help and everything. And a lot, like I said, a lot of it has to do with her. I've been able to actually not have as many episodes, but it is something I will live with the rest of my life. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. And you said you quit smoking too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh nicotine free uh, for over a year now. So awesome. So at least that, that's a win. So yeah, it's yeah. always good to quit smoking. I need to quit. Yeah. Ah, it's so hard though, but, um, okay. So, well, you're, you seem to be doing a lot better now. I know you still got some issues, but, um, yeah. you talked about your business partner. Uh, what are you and your business partner into? Oh, so we started a media company. Um, we both noticed when we were BSing, we have a little, uh, friends group of a uh, community of veterans where we just joke around and, uh, so we, we're joking around about how much stuff just slips through mainstream media and it was just mind blowing for us. Um, I'm extremely good at writing. So I just started researching my own news that went, slipped through the cracks, started writing out articles. He, you know, led the charge. He's extremely smart. He used to have a uh, podcast with like 25,000 followers until Facebook banned him. Um, so uh, it was just one of those things where we, you know, we're, <laughs> we tightened our shot group. We cleaned everything up. So we're not as uh, crazy with what we say anymore, but um, we just promote the media that kind of gets slips through the cracks and we bring stuff to the forefront that uh, at a different angle that um, people don't think. Cool. So you don't have like, you know, most media, Fox, CBS, MSNBC, and especially CNN, they all have an agenda. They all want to hide, you know, the good stories on one side of the aisle. Fox, you know, you know, it's always either negative or positive. There's no in between, it seems like anymore. So is that kind of the bridge you're trying to gap right there? Is suppose both sides. Yeah, so to be honest, um, we did start, uh, not with the Bell Fry signal, that, that, that's completely separate deals. But in the past, uh, me, yes, me and my business partner, we both do to tr- traditionally lean more conservative. But that was one of our goals with the Bell Fry signal is to make it as fair balanced as we can. Unfortunately, neither of us follow um, news that would be considered left-wing or liberal as much. So, no, we don't get those stories as much. And this is just me being honest. Um, but our goal and primary goal is, I mean, I, I got chewed up for an article uh, that I wrote um, about NATO use, uh, NATO troops using depleted uranium. Um, we used it in Afghanistan. Is there any reason we should have used depleted uranium in Afghanistan. Um, so I did an article on that, and like I said, we do have a traditional, more conservative uh, background with our audience, too, and they let me have it. I got a lot of nasty emails about that one. Um, so like I said, I, I try to keep it as fair as possible, um, but I am human. Uh, I do have where I grew up, who I am, and that, uh, I'm sure that does show for my own but I do try. It's all good. We all try. I mean, we all kind of have our biases a little bit. So I I try to stay in the middle as much as I can. But, yeah, I see myself leaning a little bit more to the right. But I don't agree with the right side all the time either. I definitely don't agree with the left, at least the far left. 
uh, yeah. at all. And I'll put that out there. I don't care because a lot of stuff I'm seeing today that are getting emphasized towards our children shouldn't be getting, getting put in front of our children at all. But we're not going to talk about that. So yeah, <laughs> so, uh, so I know you're also doing some other stuff. So I'm trying to get yeah. uh, working with uh, some bare knucklers. Uh, you want to talk about your bare knuckle experience and what all you're trying to do for them? Absolutely. Yeah. So this is probably the best news. Um, so I literally just got back. I live in Kentucky. I drove all the way down to, uh, to Florida. So at first I thought it was in Southern Alabama. So I actually went to the wrong Gulf Shores. It was, I was supposed to go to Gulf Breeze. So I drove to the wrong state, to the wrong place and noticed I was about an hour off on my town. So I jumped in my vehicle, drove uh, to the other part of Florida. So now I'm in Florida. I met with um, Goat Combat Agency, and it was supposed to be this quick little 30-minute meeting. Four hours later, we're, you know, sitting there. I found out he was the veteran. His name's Scott Farley, and he owns his own gym. I, I definitely want to get all that to you, um, his gym information. If anybody's in the Pensacola, Florida area, please check him out. Uh, this guy, he's a veteran, and his intelligence is mind-blowing. When it comes to the fight world, um, I, I sat there. I watched a couple classes. I watched his kid, who's already—I think he's like 13 or 14 years old—and he's already fought on pay-per-view. Um, his top uh, fighters. I mean, he so he also manages fighters also, and he has champions under his belt. He has fighters that should be champions. There's uh, one of my knocks against the is there's always controversy at the end of the fight. Unfortunately, his fighter was wrapped up in the last controversial fight, but um, it, it's just incredible being able to sit and talk to uh, Mr. Farley, and um, now I have a chance that I'm going to start doing interviews with his fighters. I'm going to start writing up stories to help get their story out. He also has um, uh, the youngest BKFC fighter, and that's been a hot topic for their organization for a while is... You know, it's a whole bunch of old, washed-up UFC fighters. Well, first off, anyone that's fought in the UFC is not washed up. They are a professional athlete. I don't care if they're freaking 60 years old. I guarantee Ken Shamrock could still put a whooping on almost everybody in the UFC. That's just my opinion. But um, I agree with that opinion. I, I, would, <laughs> I, I definitely wouldn't want to go against them, but that's pretty cool. Um I know it's a pretty fast-paced, exciting world. Um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really liking to see the uh, blow-up of uh, uh, the bare-knuckle world, especially in the United yeah. States. I know it's really big over in the Asian uh, world right now, and I'm really hoping yeah. it gets bigger. I know they're just getting to Las Vegas. Um, so it's nice to hear that uh, David Feldman's really, David Feldman's really uh, getting really high traction on this, and it seems Absolutely. like he's a good network below him. So I'm excited to see it, and I'm excited to hook up uh, with anybody that you want to send our way. So, yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, I want to see if I can get Mr. Farley on here for you. Like I said, he's a veteran, and just talking with him because I worked with several other fight agencies since the beginning. Um, I think I discovered BKFC on venue number two or three when it was still brand new and young. Um, my back, my background is boxing. So it was something that I personally took hold of and took to. Um, so I, I definitely want to have him out here. Uh, uh, his gym has just been featured on Nat Geo. 
They did a documentary on BKFC. Uh, from what I, 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 it's on my to-do list for work today is I need to sit down and watch it. And I'm going to go over some of the fighters because, uh, like I said, Scott's the center of this documentary with him. Uh, one of the youngest uh, BKFC fighter. I don't have his name. I really should have wrote that down uh, before I could jump on. Uh, oh, you're but, good. Huh? Yeah. So I'll get, but I will get that information to you. Um, they just had an awesome documentary. I can't wait to see it. Uh, I know that it kind of makes BKFC not look the best, but they need help with marketing. That is the number one issue for fans is they need help with their image and their marketing. And that documentary didn't help. But um, I'm glad to hear that with Mr. Farley. That it does it make it shows you his gym. It shows you his character, um, and I, I'm very happy for him and his organization. Well, I'm happy for you and all the progress you're making. Um, I'm glad to, you know, your wife's behind you. I'm glad that you're, you know, finding your voice again. You seem like I know you said you had some head trauma. It seems like you talk pretty well again, um, and I'm just hoping that you know we can do, you know, we stay connected and we can keep pushing forward on this. So yeah, I appreciate it. Yep. And I appreciate you coming on today. I know, you know, you're a busy man. I know you just got back and you know, it's, we're all busy, but I'm glad to see veterans always jumping on here and we're always having a good chat here and there. And so, Mm -hmm. but that does it all for this time on the Swandingo files with Forrest Barkis. He's, crushing on the outside and he's doing very well for the bare knuckle world and he's going to continue to crush it. I'll have a good time. See you next, next time on the Swan Dingo files. Well, folks, that's all we have for today's episode of the Swan Dingo files. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with your host, Steven Swanson, as much as he enjoys recording it. Remember transitioning from military life to civilian life is tough, but with a little bit of grit, a dash of humor, and a lot of determination, you can overcome any obstacle. So until next time, keep on trucking, and keep swanding going.